Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bottom Line with Bob and Kendall Ehrlich. Your holiday Christmas list should include original, unconventional, and inconvenient. Must include, not should include, honey. Must. Yes. Donald Trump and his mega movement by Governor Bob Ehrlich. That's you. <laughs> Don't call me governor at home. <laughs> so you have to do it. Everybody's going to love it. Put it on your list. Get it for everybody. Start a little controversy at your Christmas dinner. It's healthy for everybody. Well, in groups, and the book has had a really strong start, but in, as I do my group thing and book signings, I, I say for your libertarian right of center buddies, they're going to love it. For your folks in the middle, independence, it's going to give them things to really think about. And for your liberal friends, maybe, the gettables, for your progressive friends, they're just not going to like it if you have progressive friends. For your liberal friends, I think it's a time to yeah, yeah, yeah. I like uh, get that. them a book like yeah. this so that they have a little bit more to think about. Call and them out a little they bit. they certainly now have something to compare. Call them out a little bit on free speech and other issues, capitalism. Anyway, uh, the book has had a great start, and we hope you enjoy it as much as I did writing it. So this week, we're going to be talking about lawlessness, three aspects of lawlessness, but before that, we have two items that also relate to lawlessness, as we discussed, babe, in the kitchen. The headline of the Washington Times today, Biden revives Remain in Mexico rule. And we've talked about this a lot with regard to immigration, the chaotic uh, reality of the border, the southern border. This is a forced uh, revival of this policy. The courts are temporarily have made the Biden administration revisit the governor of Mexico has been, as a result, in negotiations with the Biden administration in order to come to a, a common ground with respect to the policy that has been ordered by the court to be reinstituted. Now, nobody should go away from our show today thinking this is going to be the rule from here on. It worked too well. It worked too well. So the Biden administration is certainly not going to put up with this. And the reaction from the left and the progressive left has been, as you would expect, not good. But the Biden administration is being forced to do this. Again, it. it it revolves around and pertains to illegality, lawlessness, because when you show up uninvited to the border and you try to cross, that's illegal. Hopefully uh, we'll get a little reprieve from the drugs coming across and everything else. And uh, maybe that'll be happy. Maybe that'll be helpful. At least the second small item here, I guess the potpourri item, if you will, before we get to our main three points is, a new Gallup poll, recent Gallup poll the other week, I believe last week. Support for gun control reaches 11, I'm sorry, seven-year low. A 15% plunge among independents, which is really interesting. 14% among Republicans, no surprise. And it ticked up among Democrats up to 91%. Really no surprise given the philosophical divide between the parties on gun control. The big number here, though, is independence. 15% plunge. A couple facts here, babe. In 2020, these numbers are from 2020, calendar year, more firearms purchased in 2020 than any year since 2000. Even higher numbers are expected in 2021 when those numbers come out next year. So what do you expect as crime spirals out of control in so many places? And we tend to talk about the inner cities. We tend to talk about these horrific prosecutors, these Soros prosecutors. We'll talk about them in a few minutes. But as I showed you uh, last night, this problem, this outbreak of violent behavior, is not simply a function of major cities. The numbers are 
concerning the spike in violence, up 35% in cities over 250,000 population. But in cities between 100 and 250, up 40%. In cities under 25,000, up 25%. Now, these numbers are dramatically up since lockdowns. The numbers were down during lockdowns because people were locked down. But we see a huge spike as a result of, we'll get into various factors, but the point here is support for gun control at a modern time low, no surprise to you. This has been a real change, though, since about 2017 when we had some of the lowest numbers in crime and that violent crime was mm-hmm. actually had been reduced uh, to, to a record level. And so it is really interesting that in a very short period of time from the 2017, 18, 19 to now, that there is such an increase. And in these smaller towns, we've had, uh, during COVID, a lot of places released prisoners early. Mm -hmm. And so we've had a lot of criminals released into and or invited over the border. So they're really, uh, there's probably less people in jail, which progressive always thinks is great, Mm -hmm. but yet the community is much less safe hold that thought because it's a great predicate for our show this week and just over the next few minutes three general categories of lawlessness if there's a title to this show this week it's lawlessness and the first category is plain old-fashioned illegalities lawlessness the murder spikes that we've talked about here high numbers well reported in the press from major cities as well new york chicago baltimore uh more recent flash mob, uh, flash mobs appearing, smashing and grabbing attacks at major retailers, sometimes just drugstores, uh, uh, smaller retailers. There's a great article I showed you. We both have read National Review, November 15th edition, concerning the ORC invasion, organized retail criminals. And uh, this new, well-reported uh, attack mode where large groups of folks will simply invade a retail center, a retail establishment, and just steal, break open whatever they have to break open, smash open whatever they have to smash open, and steal. And it's very orchestrated, meaning they often involve many cars that block the ability for police to get in. There are escape routes. So they'll grab all this, and, and it, it is a high-dollar organized crime syndicate that then resell these items and and many other things. So they are totally taking advantage of these woke prosecutors that they know will not prosecute them. I I think in San Francisco, it's anything less than $950. They're not going to prosecute, which is really outrageous uh, because this is what it leads to. It leads to real organization of crime. And um, so... Uh, Well, I know that we've got a couple other things to say before we... Well, I would also include under old-fashioned crime, what we just talked about, showing up at the border, uninvited, unannounced, trying to cross over. That's a criminal act. Uh, And we've seen, we saw horrific uh, murder in Beverly Hills this week. We've seen high-profile, again, murders in these major cities. We'll get into the prosecutors in, in a few minutes. But the causes, clearly one cause in my view, in our view, is the pandemic, no doubt about it. Second cause, Soros-sponsored prosecutors. Who Pro- refuse to prosecute, crimes, pro- especially property, property crimes. crimes. And if you don't prosecute property crimes, you end up lawless. And this is a point we made last week, but I think it needs to be further discussed. 
if you look at my resume, my public career, criminal justice reform is an integral part of of what I espoused, what I believed, what I acted on. Since I've been in public office, what I've spent a lot of time on and public pronouncements and press conferences and groups and speeches all around the country. Well, as governor, it's a large part of your budget, and, and you want to be effective and do things better. Yeah. Always. And so there's – when you're a leader like that, you want to have the analysis, you want to have the numbers, you want to see how things can be done better and more fair. So that was my take, and I, I believe the general take on uh, criminal justice reform – my emphasis, my focus was collateral consequences, pardons, commutations, looking at tough cases, looking at relief that should have been given maybe sometimes in the, in the distant past, and doing what executives should do, exercising that power. But today, it's just been turned on its head. It's been right. turned on its head with regard to what you just talked about, establishing thresholds whereby property crimes are just A-OK, no big deal. First of all, the prosecutors have to uphold the law. That's their oath. If, if you want changes in the law, then you need to go to the legislature and have that done. But otherwise, you need to enforce the law. And enforcing property crimes is at the base of a foundation of an organized society. You have to have that protection. That's where Giuliani started in New York City and bringing it back. Well, in that the, in is the great in the revival. Constitution yeah. as well. But so, pragmatically, so, I'm talking about that's right. where Giuliani started. Now, so... And the issue of bail, which I'm going to—you've opined on numerous times. I want to hear you again on this issue of bail, alleged discriminatory aspects of cash bail. Well, the problem is the the bail system works. It's to do two things: to ensure that somebody shows up to court, and also in regard to the safety of the community. And that goes to the nature of the crime, i.e., you know, in a murder case, it's very likely someone would flee, and uh, also the community would be in high danger with someone accused of murder out there. So in, in, those, in those types of cases, you need no bond or a very high bond, and it works, and it goes down the scale. And I think you have to believe in your judges that you appoint. Yep. Most are appointed throughout yep. the country on the state level. At, in certain trial court levels, and you have to entrust people to be able to recognize what fits under each scenario, and each scenario is different. I've done hundreds of bail review hearings. I, I, I just think that the system generally works. Yep. So to just throw the baby out with the bathwater is not the way to reform, not that entire system. The same thing with these woke prosecutors going after the juvenile system. And saying, well, the, you know, juveniles are such victims. Well, that's not really true. You have juveniles with very serious long histories starting at a very young age, and you definitely need to prosecute them and, 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 and put them in places where they can learn many things that they haven't learned. That's fine. But, but the state definitely needs to intervene in some type of um, rehabilitation. When they commit adult right. crimes. Right. So, well, punishment and or... Yeah. Uh, some of the specialty courts that I talked about, yep, the drug work. courts, juvenile courts, they work. recognizing that uh, those things work to help, but there still has to be consequences. So as a matter of politics, people need to understand, our viewers, our listeners need to understand, this is progressivism in the real world. This is tangible progressivism. This is the result of Soros elected prosecutors doing their thing, not enforcing the law. This is the result of defund the police. 
This is the result as a result of defund the police, police not enforcing the law, not making the arrests. This is not criminal justice reform. This is woke criminal justice reform. It's not what people want, the majority of folks, and it certainly serves to punish the most marginal in our country, in our well, society. And not only that, people, uh, the retailers are pulling out of San Francisco yep. and Chicago and, and wherever that may be. And so as a result, they're changing the dynamics of these beautiful cities that we've had in America. And people are saying, I'm not going down there. I wouldn't go to San Francisco after seeing all that's gone on there uh, in the last year for anything. And yep. that's a beautiful city. And it was it's a, a shame. beautiful city. It was. So there's a real dynamic of, of changing the these cities maybe permanently and that that is a really terrible thought for me which is what the moquab wants to do they want to transform the country now category two is i've titled lawlessness minimized under color of law and by that i mean what we've seen done through various aspects of lawmaking concerning the law so through the legislative process, for example, through the reconciliation process, Democrats in the Senate were told by the parliamentarian, no, you can't uh, make legal what has been illegal behavior. This mass immigration reform through reconciliation. We talked about that a few sh shows ago. By the way, the Democrats in the House are trying to uh, sneak it through under a new provision called parole under the Build Back Better, Build Back Better uh, bill, bill. <laughs> the, the House version, which is now going to the Senate, as you know. So through the legislative process, we see that attempt. Through the administrative process, just last week, new directive from the Department of Homeland Security creates safe space. Now think about this, babe. Creates safe spaces for illegal migrants where people engage in essential activities, quote unquote. That's the directive that literally directs people here illegally to continue their illegal behavior and assures them that the rule of law will not be applied because this administration and this Secretary of Homeland Security and these folks, these woke folks in charge of public policy today, deem it to be fair, where people uh, engage in essential activities. Uh, they're not going to be caught. They're not going to be arrested. It's crazy. Well, Again, it's a free safe pass. Space. It's like a free pass. It's a free pass. Go That's to a safe ridiculous. space. Go to a safe space. The law does not apply there. That's ridiculous. First of all, if they're coming to the country, they want to come to the country, then they're going to abide by our laws and our criminal justice system. No, they're End not. End of story. No, oh, they're yes. not. Well. No, they're not. They will when we days. get the house. <laughs> Again, and then through presidential directive. What better example? The VAX mandate. Now, this is getting complicated for the average person who reads the newspaper, follows the, or follows the evening news, watches Fox or any of the other liberal uh, networks for that matter, what exactly is going on? All these federal judges with respect to different populations are rendering these decisions. So just as we know it here today as we, as we tape our show, a district judge in Missouri, which covers 10 states, has blocked forced health care to the vaccine with respect to health care workers in hospitals that receive federal funds. That's the narrow nature of that ruling. Another federal judge in Louisiana has blocked the mandate with respect to all health care workers in the country. Another federal you judge in, in Kentucky. Louisiana, in Louisiana? From Louisiana. Yeah. Uh, yeah, oh. Yes. So a district applying judge. Applying to Louisiana. No, no, applying to the country. Huh. So district judge in Kentucky with regard to three states, Kentucky, Ohio, and Tennessee, has blocked the mandate with respect to federal contractors. As we know, the original mandate from the president applied to federal contractors as well. 
And now today in Oklahoma, the attorney general has sued over the COVID mandate for military uh, personnel uh, and, all, and all federal employees. So, again, you have different federal judges rendering different decisions with respect to different populations. This, the issue, though, however, is central. It's the, the mandate and how it's going to impact American citizens. Well, with different rulings like that, will it not end up in well, the Supreme that's Court? That's the point. Yeah. That's the point. That, that will end up in and the Supreme Court. And people need to understand that. It's going to end not up in the Supreme Court. Not by choice, but it will be able to go directly to the Supreme Court. Yes. Uh, on that issue, it needs to which go would to Supreme be Court. great. It needs exactly. to go to the Supreme Court. Uh, people need to know because these judges and more judges will be rendering new decisions over the next couple of weeks, I'm sure, are citing uh, how it's overbroad, clearly, this uh, VAX mandate, whereby really important people, federal contractors, healthcare workers, public safety personnel, large employers, they're all impacted, and people lose their jobs. People have been losing their jobs until these these, lawsuits these, have been coming. Well, till these decisions, till right. these uh, these judges have rendered their uh, temporary injunction. So right now, in the country, the Biden administration cannot enforce this mandate. It needs to go to the court. There needs to be directed from the court with respect to this overbroad, the overreach uh, with respect to this vax mandate. But what do you expect? This is how these folks see the. It's where it was coming. And then finally, this is important. Uh, We need to spend a few minutes on this. Lawlessness and the media, something that we've talked about a lot. (laughs) Selective reporting, negligent reporting, narrative reporting. The walk us all, for example, is in the the news. The the parade where six people were killed, dozens more injured, according to CNN, by a car, by an SUV. By an SUV, that was the report. We see selective reporting, negligent reporting, narrative reporting uh, by the press. The border chaos that we've reported on, Fox has reported on, right of center, Atlas have reported on, but not the mainstream media has given it very little attention. Selective reporting, of course. Illegal uh, migrant crime, which is a real issue. Again, you see it on Fox. You may see it on Newsmax. You don't see it in the major media. Hunter Biden. The laptop. Gosh, that may be actually a real story. How about that? Lawlessness. Baltimore, Chicago, San Francisco, cities you earlier mentioned, mass shootings, the murders, uh, the homelessness, minimal coverage, minimal coverage. It's just not the narrative the legacy immediate wants to play. And and so what we see is, is, and I will add something that we talk about in our speeches, the Duke lacrosse case and the uh, alleged uh, UVA rape case, both proven completely false, but very popular narratives hooked onto by the popular press at the time. In the Duke lacrosse case, three kids were going to jail for an awful long time. Uh, because also the- resulting, those cases resulting in lawsuits. Yeah, well, I, I, that you did you read my mind? <laughs> I think I did. I, I think you read my bottom line here. So you have um, you have cultural narratives the press hooks onto. You have race narratives, very popular, um, especially since the Floyd case. You have the Trump narrative. You have Russia, 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 Russia. You have big government narratives. Big government's better. You have these narratives combining, and not to be confused with reporting. These are narratives. These right. are cases where they'll take a gem of truth, and that will be the predicate, and then they'll write their story before the facts. Well, sometimes there's a gem of proof, but oftentimes they're just, sometimes it's made up. 
the Duke lacrosse. Well, case, there was a party. Or... There was a party. Okay. Okay. But, and then they. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it just Russia, Russia, Russia. In the UVA case, there was not a party at the frat that nothing, night. Right. Yeah, there was nothing. Uh, so you're going to have. And again, it depends on what you're watching, which is the problem because. If you lock onto a station that's not reporting anything or not reporting uh, what would normally be thought of years ago as a big story that everyone should know about, then they're not informed about it. Now, social media might change that a little bit because you can find out just about anything out there. But still, it's very interesting how selective it is. Rittenhouse. 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 And there was a video (laughs) An exculpatory video, as we've discussed, as everybody knows, who paid attention that the prosecutors could have looked at and well, the come other to thing a in this conclusion age early on. Very unsettling for me is the media becoming part of the uh, uh, criminal justice system. The media interjects itself, interjects its thoughts uh, before most of the facts in many of these cases are known by anybody other than maybe the immediate people that are involved. And it has always bothered me that they definitely go to their narratives immediately trying to influence those cases, Rittenhouse being the, the latest example, latest example yeah. of that, and, uh, and a good one at that. So it's, it's just, um, I think that people have to be very cautious. I wish the media wouldn't get involved. I wish they would let the system play out. Because I think generally the system has been very fair in those cases. Well, there is a common denominator here. Nicholas Sandman, Rittenhouse, the Duke Lacrosse kids, that fraternity at UVA, they've all become very wealthy through settlements because the press will continue to, again, take the predicate, the facts, a few facts, a few convenient facts, a few objective facts for that matter, and then go with it. And then run with it. Mike, For their Mike, own? Mike Flynn, by the way, actually met with the Russian ambassador. Okay, that was a fact. There's the nothing wrong. Of his job. There, there's nothing wrong with it, by the way. But again, the narrative flows from the original predicate, the the, the grain of truth. There was a, a meeting in Trump Tower with that Russian lawyer and senior Trump staff. President wasn't there, but and nothing came of it. But again. The narrative. It's convenient. It's what they want to do. It's what they believe. It's their vision. But it's not to be confused with reporting. It's lawless. And in these cases and others, they're paying. And Mr. Rittenhouse is going to be a very wealthy young man as a result. Amen. That's 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 the courts working in a positive way. Yeah, it, it is. But again... It shouldn't get there. It shouldn't get there. It shouldn't get there. So we have this outbreak of selective reporting negligent reporting narrative reporting look it was probably this way during walter cronkite era 10 offensive was a victory for the for our side for the american side for the south side but it wasn't portrayed as such and led to as as we as we know uh the anti-war movement whole nine yards so narrative driven reporting is not new but the woke nature and the overuse of race especially is new and in the era of of uh, social media well on the present social media it's especially dangerous and needs to be called out and i hope mr rittenhouse becomes a very wealthy young man well and there is pushback our victory in virginia was yeah. the first sign and and what did they say race white supremacists right. african-american people white supremacists tired of that. <laughs> so just throwing throwing that up against yeah. the wall people are getting tired of that 
And we'll see. Uh, again, it's all going to be determined at the polls. And we, we devoted a show earlier, many weeks ago, to gaslighting. And they also accused Republicans of gaslighting the issue I've of— I've heard that term much more used by both sides now. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Your husband. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Anyway, in that respect, it was, oh, the Republicans are gaslighting race and education. <laughs> All the Republicans and, and many Democratic parents said was, we have a right to have an opinion to show up at local school board meetings and express express our views, one, and two, we have standing with respect to our kids and their education. That was the gaslighting to them, to the woke <laughs> crowd. So, well, to them. Do I appear angry tonight? I know it's Christmas, but I'm just... To them, parents don't have that right. No, they true. really think that. Terry McCall that said it. you don't have that right, that you're not smart enough to know what's good for your child. Terry McCall said it. That was his big mistake. He'd be governor of Virginia honest. today. <laughs> that was a big mistake. Anyway, lawlessness, lawlessness in, in direct respects in, through government agencies and, again, through the media has to be called out. That's why we wanted to talk about it this week, and we hope you all will, will think about all this and uh, – particularly next November when it comes time for, for elections. So again, act not, on, act not to on be it. a broken record. I was just going to say, again, we get to, you can have an impact. You have to be paying attention to who your local prosecutors are, school uh, board what members, school board members, what's going on. It's really important all down ballot. But what's not a broken record is pumping the book. <laughs> Original, unconventional and inconvenient. This will make you feel good. It will. And it'll make, it'll make you everyone it on you your smarter. everyone on your Christmas list will be smarter too. So if you make sure to not feel alone, to know that there's others thinking just like you think, this is what you need. Thanks Fight lawlessness by a book. Thanks everybody for listening. Godspeed.